Hey, welcome to the Timmy Ricks Podcast, Life in the Meantime. I'm excited today. I have my good friend, Casey Myers. If you listened about a month ago, I had his wife, Kate Myers, on, and today it's Casey, and we're going to jump right into it. So, Casey, welcome aboard. Thanks. Yeah. Glad, to, glad to be here in your office. That may, that reminds me of, I was talking to uh, Brighton, and I was, we were helping him with his sermon, you know, and I like to start... My anytime I write a sermon or I talk, thinking about like you know you want to get everybody in the car, and by the time I like had shown him all the moves and transition, I guess at the very end I said, "So this is kind of when you're gonna start landing the plane," and he was like, "Wait a second, so you're trying to get them in the car, but then in the middle of your sermon, it's turned into a plane and you're landing it." Um, anyway, well, I wonder why we use phrases like "Welcome aboard" when it's a well, we're sailors that hard. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Nonetheless, I don't like podcasts that do that. Let's get right into it. Okay. Sure. Um, one of the things about Casey and I, we have a deep history and we're going to talk about it. But to get us going, to get us cooking, I want you to answer this question. What is the hardest part about being my friend? The hardest part about being your, your friend. really fast. I, I thought know. you were going to. No, it's true. Okay. The hardest part about being your friend, hands down, is that I cleaned up your vomit and you didn't clean up mine. Yes. So know that. Uh, know that at heart. That's the hardest thing. Okay, so I want you to tell that story. So once upon a time, we were both young. This is weird. It's hard to talk about. It's hard to talk in podcasts. How do you do this? It is. It's weird. The hard part is I wanted you to tell the story because I feel like I have a tendency to talk. Even when I have a guest on here, I feel like I'm the one talking the whole time. Let me tell my version of the story. And no, that's you good. tell yours. That's good. So Casey and I were freshman roommates, which we'll touch on that in a second, of college. The first semester, all of a sudden, I'm like, it's in the middle of the night, 3 a.m., you know? And Casey and I, we, I had like a high bed, but it wasn't a bunk bed. He had set his up to where it was a bunk bed, and then like his desk was underneath it. And all of a sudden, I hear this commotion, you know? And I'm like, Casey, it's 3 a.m. I just went to sleep. What are you doing? You know? And I peek out of the corner of my eye. I'm, I'm like laying to where I can see your bed. And I see you sit up. And I'm like, oh my gosh, he's possessed, right? Like, <laughs> but then all of a sudden, you literally just go, Bleh! like, you don't get off the bed or nothing, right into your lap. I do what any normal human would do. I pretend that I'm sleeping because I was like, oh my gosh, I don't want any part of that right now. I had just got to sleep. I'm oh in college. I'm 18. I have no responsibilities. I don't need the responsibility to clean up your throw up, right? So I am literally, I mean, for an hour, you're dealing with this. You're cleaning up your bed. You're cleaning yourself up. Taking a shower. And I am laying there pretending yeah. I'm asleep, okay, for an hour. Let's fast forward. It's spring, the end of the year. And I am now sick, and I am throwing up like crazy. And who wakes up and goes and turns on the light, cleans up my throw up, helps me get in the shower. I mean, literally couldn't have been more like my mother. Move your bed down. Move my bed down. Put it on you. the ground. Put a trash can. I mean, I just came down with it. And there you are. And up until that point in time, you had no idea. That I knew that you were throwing up. Like, oh, I was man. faking sleep. I think, what, this year was the first year I ever told you? Yes, yes. I felt like I had the courage to, I said, hey, Casey, there's something I really need to confess to you, yep. you know, and you were like, oh, you've been taking dollars from from my console in my car. And I was like, no, I don't need to confess that. I feel fine about that. <laughs> but I do need to tell you this, you know, and so I told you. Um, so I don't it know. It started with, Father, forgive me for I've sinned. It's yeah. been three years. <laughs> <laughs> Where you just hire me back as one of your servants. Right. Oh, my gosh. How? What's your take on that story? Uh, right on the money. Uh, I think you were a little bit undersold how much cleaning up it took. It took a lot of, a lot of my time. A lot of patience. No, I'm just kidding. No, I think I, that's true, dude. Oh, I think man. I threw up a lot more than you threw up. Ew, dude. Oh, that's so, so gross. gross. I hope that makes the podcast. That's oh, super this gross. This is all staying in. Good. That's this is good. real life, man. This is real life. Oof, that might stay too high. <laughs> um, all right. Let's no, name. no, no. That was the fun. hardest part is, is truly also the best part of being Tim's friend. Um, and we've talked about this a lot before. The, the way that Timmy describes things is always with passion. There aren't a lot of things that he feels neutral about in the world. And so whenever he 
talks, it's because it comes from a place of true desire. Um, it's an awesome thing, but it's also the hard part for me because I don't know which things to jump on board with. <laughs> and I don't feel passionately about too much. I feel passionately about a few select things. Um, and so it's it's interesting. To, it's like riding a wave. Like you, you truly have no idea how it starts or how it ends. But like the whole time in between is like, you know, it's it's a blast. So. It's, it, that sounds like chaos. <laughs> I, I did use water for a reason. <laughs> yeah, I uh, I appreciate that backhanded compliment, and um, okay. I think that is like the, the our dynamics. It's so interesting, you know. Like we're really different human beings. Um, I think what's interesting is that when we tell people now, so we're on staff together, we live really close lives together. Mm-hmm. Is we. I think people just, like, oh, you guys were freshman roommates together. Like, you, okay, you've been best friends for, like, eight years. And I was like, no. Absolutely not. Not, not at all. Yeah. Like, we were roommates. We're both from Florida. So even we say that, say like we're both from Florida. Like, oh, my gosh, you guys practically were born in the same hospital, right? Like, <laughs> you must be absolute besties. Right. And it's like, nope. Actually, I met your, when I was 13, I met your brother. Was good friends with him. Mm-hmm. Didn't really know you existed. Uh, you, because you, we met at, like, district church events and you were out junior volleyball, right? You tell, tell us how good you were a volleyball player. Uh, <laughs> I don't think I'm going to do that, but I love volleyball. Uh, it was my plan, really. Great volleyball player. One of the best. One of the best. One of the best. We had the best volleyball player best on staff. Best volleyball player on staff. <laughs> no. Tremendous. Uh, I really did. I loved, I loved volleyball. That was my thing uh, growing up, and I thought that's for certain how I was going to pay for college and potentially after college, something that I might do, you know, abroad, there's a ton of professional leagues that I was interested in playing in. And, um, but yeah, I don't think, I mean, it all came crashing down sort of because my senior year, I broke my ankle and I just, I don't know, whenever you're 18 years old, you see everything as a sign. So I thought it was a sign (laughs) from God, you know, which, you know, is some pretty whack theology. God broke my ankle, but, uh, you know, that's sort of, uh, the direction that it that it took me, I thought that for certain there was something more for me, there was something else. And I had sensed to call the ministry for a while, but it certainly hadn't been the center of what of where my you know attention where my focus was. So mm-hmm. yeah, that's what that's what ended up landing me at SNU. I didn't apply until I think it was like May, April or May of the year that we went to college, 2011. So. And so it's interesting because I had, they had given me a roommate already and I Mm -hmm. have no idea how somebody said, Hey, you should reach out to Casey because I saw that I had a roommate and I'm going to leave it at that. We come in together as freshmen and we, uh, both are in the theology department. Right. And we free, we're free. The first couple of weeks, this is what we talked about last night. We were actually really close. And right. then we both kind of made different friends. I was doing football. Um, it's, you know, it's a busy schedule when you're six on the depth chart, you know, six quarterback on the depth chart. And you're in the uh, gym a lot, that's for sure. Well, I was cracking a lot of jokes in the gym. I don't sure. know if I was lifting a lot of weights. So <laughs> the uh, we're doing our own things, you know, and you would come in um, and I would be up at like 3 a.m. and you'd be like, what are you doing? And I was either, you kind of said it, I was either Skyping or uh, watching Netflix. That Netflix had just switched from DVD to online. Like you could still do both. Right. And, um, and of course, I had a girlfriend to start college, you know, like everybody else. You're like, oh, we're going to do it. You we're know, gonna we're going to go, it. yeah, we're yeah. going to be 24 hours apart and going to different colleges, but I'm sure it'll work out. <laughs> no, it won't. Um, anyway, you and I were in the theology program and you were just eating it up like it's a bowl of Rice Krispie with sugar on it. And I wasn't. Frosted flakes, but sure. <laughs> yeah. So we were, uh, that was kind of. Where I saw, oh my gosh, Casey's much more disciplined than I am. Um, you made your bed, I didn't, those types of things, right? So, But first couple of weeks of college, Timmy and I, we had an 8 a.m. class, Tuesdays and Thursdays, intro to ministry with Dr. Douglas Samples. And we both, our very first test of college, slept right through it. No question in our hearts. We woke up at 9, 9 a.m., an hour had passed, class is over, and... And here's when I knew the difference between you and I. I woke up, and I still heard the birds chirping, (laughs) and I was just like, this is my destiny. I will figure out how to wield this sword. 
you hop up, run over to your desk, start writing an email, and then you run out the door to go talk to him. Like, oh hey, I don't know if you've seen my email yet, but I just emailed you about why I missed class. <laughs> so funny. I remember you studying Greek so hard. I was like, dude, why are you working so hard? Um, <laughs> if only I could remember any of that Greek. That anyway, so then, yeah, I went on to college. We just weren't, we were just, like, I knew you existed. Like, we made the joke again last night where I was like, I'd see you and be like, Casey? You still, I thought you graduated, like, <laughs> as if we were in different years. Uh, and then, I mean, honestly, it probably wasn't until three years ago we came back. And right. then we just live in the same apartment complex. We work together. And our relationship, though so different, like, that's the thing. Like, just like right now, when we're together, I'm always talking, and you're riding the wave. Like, you're kind of always listening for what's the actual thing, right? Like, I kind of have a new plan every day. And you no, just, you wait and then you grab the thing and she said hey i think this is what you should work on and usually it's the exact same thing that i've been actually wanting to work on for the last three years yeah but the hard parts are always the good parts what's the hardest part of being my friend you didn't answer you didn't answer in the reverse well i knew that was coming um boy mine was just all negative sure so i gotta think through here yeah uh that's the essay that's pulled up on your laptop right now so yeah go ahead. um it's only three thousand words it's well that's just the intro oh um, okay good <laughs> no i think that it's it's the like the hardest part is that I am more aggressive. So I think that I can domineer. Like, I can be selfish. Like, you're not going to push your... I don't know how to say it. You know what I mean? Like, you're not going to be like, hey, Timmy, shut up and let me talk for a minute. Like, so the hardest part is that it's helping me grow in, like, my selflessness. Because, like, I want to be the friend um, who, when we go to coffee, I say, hey, how you doing? And then I shut up. You know, because the hard part is you can say like, well, you know, like I've got like I've been thinking through this and I'll be like, me too. Listen to this. Like, you know, um, here's what I think you should do. So I kind of it's it's probably that. Uh, also, you're a lot um, smarter than me. I know you're going to be like, no, 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 we're the same. But you are. Let's, maybe the word is thoughtful. I I just talk. And then I like to see what I'm going to say. You know what I mean? Like, like I don't have to think. Through, like, I'm, I'm anxious on, oh, what's going to come out? You know? Um, I don't have to think about it. It's just coming right now. It's just flowing out of me. Right? Sure. Like, uh, and you're going to sit. You're going to think through your answer. And it's going to sound a whole lot better. And so I'm going to say something. And then you're going to have to kind of decipher what it is. So that's probably one of the hardest parts. But I think the best part about us being friends again is that it's we're just so different i mean mm. the, the sheer fact you're six four i'm five eleven okay right. we can just pick out those things Sorry. um but i think that just the way again like the way we see life the structure the the ambitions the all of it is so different and yet somehow we're able to kind of coexist and uh, encourage each other in the things that we want and i think that um for instance, one thing, like you're just extremely financially disciplined and that has rubbed off on me in a major way. And, um, again, I'm going to, I'm going to kind of, I'm going to switch back here and say that event I planted the seed in, sure. for, in you no. right. That's <laughs> eight right. years ago. You saw me and you were disgusted by my lifestyle. Oh. <laughs> I never oh, want to be like that. So really, no, no, no. Who's to blame here for your success? Uh, <laughs> um, anyway, all right, let's get it. We're 15 minutes in, and we've just we've been talking, we've been talking mess. Um, sure have. So we kind of already said let's describe our friendship relationship. We kind of checked that off the box. So you are a youth pastor. After we graduated college, I went off to Arizona. Mm -hmm. You stayed here, started working at BFC, where we're at right now. Right. I come back, and I jump into seminary with you. Kind of a very similar situation to our college career. Because it took me five years to graduate college. Mm -hmm. And uh, I switched my major multiple times and really had to say, like, God, what do you want me to do? Like, I really had to lean in on it. And you've kind of been pretty focused on what you want to do. And seminary, for you, is coming to an end. You, this semester, you're, grad, you're graduating. You better believe it. So, A, tell a little bit about what a seminary has done for you and why theology is so important and just how, literally, it's not just important to someone who's going to get their master's and doctor or whatever. Like, if you are any human being, theology is important. Can you explain that a little bit? 
The reason that I care about theology so much is because it changes people. It changes, it changes everything. And so, for instance, whenever I had finished my degree in theology and ministry at SNU, my immediate thought was, I'm going to go to seminary and right off the bat, I'm going to, I'm, I just want to go to seminary. I want to get my doctorate. I want to do what has been done for me. Like I want to, I'd love to be an undergraduate professor one day and I'd love to help people get started on this path. You know, you're as a student and you know, I'm in the 10th grade and I first sense a call to ministry. I'm still trying to figure out who I am, who I am to God, who God is to me. I'm still trying to answer all of these, you know, theology questions, theological questions, and I don't. You're, and you're still, and you're still becoming a full human. Like everything's still becoming for you. It's not. It's not there yet. And so, like your brain is literally still developing. Literally, yeah. And so. Seminary for me was a means to a doctorate. A doctorate would be a means to my ability to do what had been done for me. And it, was, it wasn't until my last semester of senior year at Southern Nazarene University that my grandfather started going through, you know, his third bout with cancer. And I went home right once I graduated. His health c- continued to decline it became pretty apparent that he wasn't going to make it. And so July 11th of that year, uh, you know, he passed away. And we love that he passed away on 7-Eleven because he took us to 7-Eleven all the time. And so it's free Slurpee day. It's like <laughs> he died on the perfect day to give us like yeah. free Slurpees for the rest of his life. Anyway, uh, for the rest of our lives. So, uh, but that, that in and of itself, that alone changed the way that I saw things. His funeral was a couple of days afterward. And I mean, an unreal amount of people, specifically considering his age, you know, we, we were blown away by how many people were at his funeral alone. But so many people continue to come up to us after the funeral to say something along the lines of, you know, your your grandfather was still my pastor, and he hadn't been there for 20 years. You know, there it, it had been years since he'd been a pastor to, you know, anyone, much less to you know your context, your the church that he pastored you at, and it and it changed for me. It made me recognize that my calling was absolutely to education, but. My calling first and foremost was to ministry. And that that call to ministry is paired with a call to education. Um, I think that ministry should be educated. I think uh-huh. that everything that we do should require that level of education, you know. And I think I think that where it becomes so important and significant for me is that I wouldn't be the pastor that I am today and I wouldn't be able to communicate with students the way that I can today if it hadn't been for education. I, I can't help but imagine, you know, going and getting any other degree, which a lot of people have done, you know, people that I love and respect have gotten another degree and become a pastor. And it's amazing. But I know that I could not be the pastor I am today without the way in which I was educated. And so that mattered for me. Uh, it was significant. And it's why I continued through seminary. It's why I hope one day to, you know, go and get my doctorate to again, provide what had been provided for me in the context of this is about ministry. It's about what does it mean to pastor people? Mm-hmm. And uh, so, yeah, so it's, it's a, important to me. So, and a big part of it is, yes, of course, gaining information, but then also putting that information into action right. and figuring out how to. Like, you're not just, you know, head stuck in a book. And part of that is literally because you, you can't. You have You are a full-time youth pastor. Right. So you, at the same time, are literally, right now, being able to practically connect your all your education to leading 6th um, graders, 7th graders, 8th graders, all the way up to 12th grade, you know, and figuring out all the complexities and situations that they're in, you know. So basically, sure. I mean, we get real serious about it. It is figuring out how you can take everything you've learned about your theology as a pastor and leading them and connecting that to the seventh grader who is highly addicted already to pornography. 
Right. And so it's yeah. like, how in the world, right? Like, how in the world do I navigate this and help lead them through this? Like, they don't even know who they are as a person. They don't even know how to have a conversation. But they know how to go onto the internet and be able to watch literally whatever they want. Right. And then figuring out how to navigate, not shaming them for it, not just telling them that it's wrong. They know that. Right? Yeah. Like everybody, right. like anyone who has that as an issue is not like, man, I feel finally watched enough porn today. I feel great. No, it's like, I feel awful. Like I feel disgusting. So it's not like they, so all these kids, they don't know who to talk to about it. They're terrified. They are embarrassed. And then they're trying to figure out what they believe about God. Right? And so you're able to come in and say, hey, I, I have this knowledge. I'm still learning. I want to help walk with you through this all. And that's what's amazing to see how great of a youth pastor that you are and how wonderful you are empathizing with the situation they're in. You know, sometimes when you know a lot, it's really hard to be able to bring it back, you know, and I think that you do that really well, mm. you know. So what are, um, what are ways in your youth group? Sure. And I just named that one. I mean, I don't know how much detail you want to go into a group that you lead, a small group that you lead, but across the board, what are ways that you're able to help, hey, these seventh, ninth, tenth grade students that are developing in literally all areas of their life, and you bring in why why the Old Testament matters, why the New Testament matters, what it all means, who it is, who we are in God's eyes, and how we can see God, etc. What are some of the ways that you... Sure. So I think that's, I mean, you, I think you hit the, I think you hit it right. Whatever you say, what's the, what's the saying? You hit the nail right on the head. Anyway, yep, nailed it. that's the, <laughs> ah, nailed it. that's good. So academia is often, it's, it's major accusation is that your head is so high in the clouds that you're no good to hear, no good to us here on earth. And so figuring out, uh, how you got to the clouds and figuring out how you backtrack all those things that you learned up there back to earth where real people live is, I mean, it's a significant part of the task of theology. Um, theology is figuring out, it's the study of your under, your, you are understanding that is active, still happening, understanding God. Um, that has to come back the other way. How do we bring that understanding of God to everyone? And so the task at hand is large. And, uh, you know, for the last 2,000 years, we've been in a number of ways trying to figure out what it means to do that. Theology works both directions. And so bringing it to students uh, is not watering it down or dumbing it down. It's being honest about the context that you're in. And so people ask me all the time, you know, what's it like with middle schoolers? Because 90 to 95% of people think that teenagers are a hassle. You know, like nobody wants to hang out with a sixth grader. Like not, nobody says, hey, it's the weekend. Like, I've, is there any sixth graders <laughs> that want to get out of a good time? Yeah, you know, get a like, group of sixth graders together. Yeah, what's like, what's a lock-in sound like right now? Just stay up all night, you know? That, sounds, sounds like, like 1987. Exactly, you know? And I think, and if I could backtrack a little bit, my calling has never been to youth ministry. Mm -hmm. I am a youth pastor, but youth is the is is what's clarifying my pastoral role right now. Mm, that's um, being a pastor is ushering people into the presence of God, and my context right now is students, mm -hmm. and so uh, and it's ultimately always human beings. So it's like sure, you know. Like, you're not pastoring your dog. Right. Or my dog. Right. He is safe, by the way, in case you're... Yeah, naturally. Anyway, go ahead. So, and, and the truth of the, of the pastoral role for students, like I said earlier, is that it's a state of becoming. And so, uh, as you are helping them become whole humans, uh, it's, it's an honor to really have been here for five years as a, almost five years as a youth pastor, but another two years tacked onto that as an intern because I've watched, you know, it's a seven year cycle, sixth to 12th grade. It's an honor to watch students become who they are going to be in the world. And it's, it's not that the state of becoming ends right there, you're sure. 18 years old and you move on. It's that you've been around long enough to see that occur. I think so, it's cool just to add to that, um, yeah. just in case you're kind of still trying to figure out what Casey and I do, 
what happens is then they kind of get handed off to me. So all your hard work, right? Like in leading them, <laughs> like I get to reap a lot of the benefits there. Um, and I just get to begin to walk with them in that new stage where mm. they're still becoming right. And so it's right. a whole nother, now it's college. It's, it's figuring out, okay, this is what I've learned. This is who I've been from sixth to 12th grade. Now I'm trying to put the pieces together and maybe leave some out, you know, whatever it might right. be. And so that's then what I you kind of, hand the ball off to me so that's what's kind of cool anyway yeah no and so what it looks like to pastor to be pastoral to this context in particular like you mentioned is the issue of porn it is unbelievably prevalent in in all the students that attend you know uh and so figuring out in this context how do i have open honest vulnerable conversations with people that are still becoming so uh and whenever you are open, honest, and vulnerable, uh, that breeds the openness, honesty, and vulnerability within them in their becoming process so that they can become those things, mm-hmm. you know? And so every, every Tuesday morning, I meet with a group to specifically talk about this issue. Um, for years now, the youth pastors before me, uh, the, me and Brighton, uh, the youth pastors here at Bethany First Church, we have so many conversations with students that say, I feel like my relationship with God is so strong. I feel like things are going really, really well. The one thing that is holding me back from truly being where I know God is calling me to be is this issue of pornography. I cannot kick it. It's not something I can do on my own. And, um, you know, so anyway, it's, and we it's, decided at some point along the way that the only way that happens is in a community of vulnerability and a community of the honesty to say to one another every week to confess, to openly confess, which is, to be honest, it, it's, it's a lost art in the Protestant church. It's something that I think it's something that we lost really in the Reformation mm. is, how do we confess as a community together, you know? Um, so anyway, that's what happens on Tuesday mornings, and it's not the cure-all, you know? It's it's not that, oh, I go to this group and now everything's great, you know? These guys are still struggling with this issue and trying to figure out, okay, I'm learning these things about God, I'm learning these things about myself, I'm learning about the relation between them, they also have to figure out at the same time, what's my relation to the person next to me in this group? What's the relation to why are we sitting in a circle and openly confessing? What's the relation to all of humanity, all of the world? Especially the issue of pornography, we think it's an individual sin. Mm-hmm. We, we consider it to be something that's only affecting me. We don't recognize the mass impact that it has. And so, for instance, this last week we read through First John together. And um, this morning it was just it was fascinating to hear them read over and over passages that stuck out to them, things that were important to them. And specifically the language of First John is we. And we talk about Johannan communities a lot in academia, and it's... Johannan communities, meaning people who've been discipled by John. Right. Disciples of John, living in communities together. They would have been ones that were reading... These are are communities that we don't necessarily know of, but we can assume that existed, uh, where they are using we language all the time because that's the language of John. And so... You'll, you'll notice it specifically in epistles and in, in something like First John than other places. Very rarely does he say you or me. It's always a language of we and us. And so they're reading it over and over and over again. And it's like, I don't, I don't know, I hope that it's osmosis. I know that's not the way that it works, but the more that they are engaged in texts like that, recognizing that this is a we situation. We are doing this together. We have a group text. We honestly confess every morning. God is speaking to us. You know, it's a, this is a, it's communal. It's a communal sin, but it's also communal reconciliation. It happens all together. So. And it's breaking out of that individualism. I think also that's something specifically pornography. It's so in the shadows. Like I said, no one is either 
like no one's really excited to tell you hey i've been struggling with porn right? right like you know and so it's not that's why it's so important that we have that we community and it makes me think even about my friends at hope is alive creating that place where it's like accountability and and moving forward together is just who they are right it's just who right. we are and they take this on you know that that tribe mentality mm-hmm. and so it's like that's how you defeat your biggest i'm going to use a church world here or word here but like strong hold right like whatever it is that you feel like most shackled to mm-hmm. is mostly going to take a whole lot of other people to help you break those chains mm-hmm. um so i think that's really good and i think that again it's like i think this conversation like i'm getting really excited and i really hope that this can be listened to a lot <laughs> because i feel like we don't get to talk a lot about that like this isn't necessarily something that's gonna get spoken up from the stage a lot and when you say you know the 16 year old's dealing with it well so is the 26 year old and the 36 year old right and at this point probably you know so on and so on like it is so widespread and so it's like this is a this is this is a pandemic I don't know how you'd classify it, but it is an issue, and it's affecting relationships, it's affecting mindset, it's affecting all types of things, you know? And so it's like, this is, I know Life Church just did a, Pastor Craig, he, did, he pretty recently just did a sermon over it, I think he literally called it your porn battle plan or whatever. Um, so anyway, I think it's a conversation that if we can figure out as a church to do well for all people, like we're going to be better for it. And, um, I think it's hard, you know, cause it's, we, we deal with parents a lot, you know? And so you don't want to just be like, Hey, your sixth grader is dealing with this, but it's like without them, like them being totally shocked. But it's like, we also want people to be aware, you know, and to know how to have the tools and to be able to have the conversations mm-hmm. that can help lead it the right way. So let's go ahead and let's continue. That can kind of stay in it. But as, as 2020, mm-hmm. how in the world, times are different. One of the things, again, I just had a conversation with um, someone who I just met. Her name's Allison's awesome. And uh, Allison, thanks for reaching out. And we kind of were talking about how do we move forward in sharing the gospel with the new generations? How do we begin to help, you know, make it what it is and that's that irresistible story like we don't really have to we don't have to try and make it cool we don't have to try and seem radical but we do have to figure out how to get it out there um which again we trust that god is leading us but you say all that because before let's say you know the last hundred years someone's dealing with something like you can say like hey don't watch pornography why well you know, the Bible says sexual immorality keeps us from God. It's, it's missing the mark. Okay, well, I don't care what the Bible says, right? Like, we're kind of in that mm-hmm. culture. Like, what is a 3,000-year-old book? It's not relevant, right? Like, don't see it as living and active. And I'm talking about reaching lost people, but also I'm talking about just discipling those that we have under our care already, right? Because they're growing up in this world, too. And so they're beginning to think, hey, is this church thing that my family's brought me to? Is it real? Does it matter? Is the Bible real? How do you think, and this is obviously if you had the answer, like, you, and I, I don't think you have the one single answer, but just how can we begin to move forward in helping students, younger people, people our age begin to see, no, no, here's why Jesus. Like, I'm not just going to say, well, because the Bible says so anymore. Like, mm-hmm. how can I begin to see, how can I begin to disciple in a new era? So I think what I think what often happens is this is we defend so strongly the word of God and we talk about scripture as the living word of God and we and we defend the Bible and um I I mean I can't overstate the importance of scripture. There's, there's no question about it. The truth of the word of God is that the word of God is not the Bible. The word of God is Jesus. Mm. And so God reveals God's self in Jesus. And that self revelation is, I mean, it's the game changer, Mm -hmm. you know? And so whenever we, whenever we take a step back and recognize that that for God so loved the world uh, that an incarnation occurs, that God sends God's self 
in Jesus uh, to take on flesh, but also to gather up all things. There's a theological concept. Um, it's called, for a second, it's called recapitulation. And Common language. Sure, common <laughs> language. And this is a theology of... Uh, it's really like, oh man, I, I don't want to sound like a nerd. It's really like a parabola. So think about a U. And so it starts in God's very presence up high. That's how you start a U at the, at the top of the line. And it comes down, and that's what happens in the incarnation. God, God literally descends. And so in the presence of humanity as fully human and fully God, God gathers up gathers up all things it's why and at the very bottom of the u i would that's where i would draw the cross at the at the lowest point of that of the u of the parabola is is where the cross is it's why it's it's why people don't wear you know like tombstones around their neck like the tombstone that was rolled away in the resurrection it's that's where jesus gathers up all things and the u obviously ends right back where it came from it's just that it's gone on a journey now. Mm-hmm. And so back there at the top, God has gathered up in Jesus. God has gathered up all things. Jesus has gathered up all things and brought them back to the Father. And it's, and it's why there's there hope. before there wasn't access. Right. Now there is. And it's why there's hope. It's why, it's why Jesus, it's, it's, it's because he, he is. It's because Jesus is God. It's why Jesus, he He's gathered up all things and brought us to the Father. There's no, there's nothing of our own merit that we've done to for that to occur. It's that, it's that God has done it. It's yeah. that God has done it in Jesus. And, and that's why we say literally, like at the cross, it was all death, all suffering, all shame. And it's hard. Like we hear that, and that sometimes can just go like, oh yeah, churchy language. I get mm-hmm. it. But it's like, no, 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 like. That means that the God of the universe that created all things, all the galaxies, all the stars, all creation, all human beings, right, set things in order, created a rhythm with it, now says, hey, there, things have been kind of gone awry, and I want to set them right, and I'm going to come be a part of you. So when we say somewhat like, you know, in we're facing death, Jesus is here, it's like, well, yeah, because he went to the cross like he took on death and we talk about jesus taking on the sins of the world at the cross that is literally anytime you felt sad and depressed so has jesus like that is what it is right i was reading uh moltman's how do you say it is that right right. his book called the crucified god and it was Mm -hmm. one of the few literally i'm not a crier i'm on the airplane reading this book i didn't really like i didn't love the book and I am reading where he is explaining that, explaining this idea of Jesus fully taking it all on. And that that idea of like, okay, so anytime I've felt left out, Jesus felt left out, like he's already been there. And that's why we can say he's with me in the midst of it. I am bawling reading this. Mm-hmm. It was like the first time it had just hit me where I was like, oh my God. Gosh, because he talks about in that moment, even Jesus is, it talks about how, how would you say it? Kind of like the the relationship with the father and son is separate because Jesus is taking on all the, all the sin, all the, all that's missed the mark. So that way we can then, like he takes on our death and our sin and our shame so we can take on his resurrection and his life and his fullness Mm -hmm. and and the glory, right? And so, and it's something to say about, if I, if I can go back to it just for a moment, it's something to say about the the very bottom of the U is the cross. And it's the moment in which all of creation is is gathered up. It's not, you know, it's it is the it is those feelings and the emotions that you have, but it is truly all of creation. And so our image, our symbol, our central thing is 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 the lowest point, but it's also it is also the very thing what which leads, allows yeah. us to. And so what happens too often, and again, this is the Protestant church, is that we look at the cross and the way that we draw the cross is not a crucifix. Jesus is no longer on the cross. But what we miss is that Jesus was on the cross. We just treat it like it's a prelude to Easter. But the truth is that the cross is the very thing in which we are resurrected to new life with, in Christ. Yes, absolutely. The resurrection is what eventually occurs, but it's because of 
it is the causation of, and theologians will disagree with me on this, so I'm sorry, but it is the causation of the cross. Well, it's why we're sitting here and on my bookshelf, it, The Day the Re- Revolution Began by N.T. Wright is, what's that say? Uh... Well, I can't read the bottom. Reconsidering the meaning of Jesus' crucifixion. And it's a picture of the cross and Jesus, hang, you know, a depiction of Jesus hanging on the, the cross. And it's this idea, like, that's when the re- revolution began. That's why Jesus, that's why Christianity, that's the stuff that I get so mad when we talk, like, church games. I I just don't care about <laughs> church games. Like, I'm not, I don't need to impress somebody with my attendance at church. I don't need to impress them with my serving and my volunteering. That does not matter. What I want to impress them by with is the cross. The fact that Jesus has been where they are, he is where they are, and he's going to be where they're going, right? Like that, like that is the whole point. It is the event that takes mm-hmm. place. And that's what Andy talks about in his book, uh, Irresistible. He talks about Uh-oh. there was this time. I can't help. I mean, it's a good book. You haven't read it. You think it's a, literally people just think it's about him saying the Old Testament is important. That's no, not true. I mean, read the book. I read will. the book. Get I'll out of here. It. Go read the book. No, I'm just <laughs> <laughs> um, but I'm just saying the whole point is like the the revolution of Christianity, the largest movement to ever exist, came out of, sprung forth from an event, not just some preacher. It was something that happened that took place, which was at the bottom of the U that collected all things and is now moving us forward. And we can be a part of that. And it's not just I'm waiting till I die to spend eternity with God. It's right now. I can have the fullness and the abundance of him now. And that is, I look out into creation and there's so many phrases, right? But it's begin to see how God is moving and active and I can be a part of this rescue mission. Like, I, I don't know. Like, that excites me. That's what gonna, is going to get me pumped up to be a part of this movement and to help other people be a part of it. Yeah. It's good. It's good stuff, Casey. Mm-hmm. All right. Let's wrap it up. I hope that this is helpful. We covered a lot. I feel like, again, like every time it's like, oh, we could have a six-week segment, you know. And um, But here's my last question, and we're going to get back a little bit lighter. Um, and you've kind of answered it because I think you're going to, I think I know what you're going to say. But let's imagine you're like Bruce Wayne. I've been watching the Batmans lately and I'm just like, man, how cool would that be, right? Um, and, and what I'm talking about is his like vigilantiness and like he pretends to be this like bad bachelor guy, but he cares about people. And he even starts out doing everything he's doing for a wrench. Okay, it doesn't matter. You guys know who Batman is, okay? <laughs> um, so, like, why no, 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 continue, please. So there was this boy, right? He fell into a well. Um, so Bruce Wayne, imagine you're like kind of like Bruce Wayne's situation, meaning you have an in- you don't have to think about money, right? Like, you don't have to worry about it. Like, all your needs are met. Um, what are you going to do? Like, what's your career? Like, what's the... What's the just? This is my. This is what I'm gonna do, and I'm gonna do it every day, and I'm gonna love it. And it doesn't matter because I'm taken care of with all my needs. But then let's go ahead and sprinkle in. Usually people stop there, right? Let's sprinkle in. What is your like? What's the symbol that you also create? Like, what's the cause that people maybe don't know? It's Casey Myers, right? So it's like people don't know Bruce Wayne is Batman. But what is your thing? So what is the job that you would do? Every day, all day, you just love it, you're passionate for it, and then what's your Batman? I don't know, Tim. You need to have answers for these things. You never know when you could be asked. Hey, I have one trillion dollars for you. What is the thing? What's the thing? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, What do you think my answer was going to be? Well, I think you would still love to be a professor. I think you would really like to, like, travel and teach, like, around the world. Like, I could see you doing that. Like... Uh, traveling and teaching around the world. That one was a little bit more obvious. The cause thing? I don't know. I don't know. I don't know either. So the issue is that I would want... I mean, that is my answer. I got the, it. I figured it out. Go ahead. But the the cause thing is the opposite of lots of money. So, okay. All right. All right, don't think of lots of money. Like, I'm not, like, you're not Scrooge McDuck sitting on your pile of coins. Like, you're, it's just the fact that your needs, like, Bruce Wayne's needs are handled. Like, he right. never has to worry about, like, next week, am I going to have the power on? I don't know. Like, no, he can buy, he has the resources to get whatever he wants. But I figured out your calls. I already thought of it. 
What is it? You're kind of like you're kind of like the Santa Claus of tidying up people's shoes. <laughs> you know, like go in their back door and you're gonna replace their shoes and their bins or by the door or whatever. Like you're just gonna kind of tidy up their house just a little bit, and they'd be like, "Oh my gosh, he's real." So I don't really know the answer to the question. My answer to this question, <laughs> I know that. I know this, that I'm not sure that the thing that I want to do would change that much. Um, part of the nature of my calling is a certain feeling of in, a sense of indebtedness to those who have gone before me. And so it's why I feel strongly about the Church of the Nazarene. You know, I was truly born in and raised in a community, and that community went by the name Nazarene. And so I I feel an indebtedness to this my local church to the church as well Big C but also to the church of the Nazarene I think I I can't get away from I am who I am today because mm. and 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 finishing that sentence with a number of peoples communities and so many of them happen to belong to this church so there is a sense in which I, I do believe that the thing that I want the very most wouldn't change. Um, I, I do want the thing that I do to be what has been done for me, to be formed in, to be formed by, uh, by the Jesus way, you know? I think this is what happens really often is that, uh, and we, I mean, it's incredible that we didn't really get too far away from it. We talk about Jesus a lot. and. People like Jesus. People love Jesus, but very few people follow the Jesus way. Mm. And so helping uh, people with a sense of oughtness, a sense of calling, uh, to, to usher people into the presence of God in which they can, uh, in which they are empowered in the spirit uh, to live the Jesus way, I mean, that... it's. Uh, it's the thing I feel most called to. And so it's, it is hard to get away from that. It's, it's, why I, it's why it's paired with a call to being a pastor. I love being a pastor because I, I get to do the same thing, you know, in a, in a different light. I get to do the same thing. Um, I think the beauty is, like, you are able to take all that and, like, you know, you can always do things differently. Mm -hmm. I think both of us do things different. Like, meaning we don't just because we take on the title pastor it's like it doesn't have to look the same that it's looked right like the everything else is changing like obviously our fundamentals of believing who Jesus is and how it all works stays mm -hmm. the same but the way in which uh, the method that we translate it all and stuff stays the same mm -hmm. or I mean can change sorry yeah so it's like you can do it your way I can do it my way it doesn't look like the way my dad did it you know like and so on mm -hmm. So that's, so that's what I mean in the sense that my answer to being Bruce Wayne isn't very different than to being Casey and Kate Myers. You're so spiritual. So that <laughs> part that's cool. of it, that part of it is, I'm not so spiritual though, Sam. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I just feel like it's really inspiring. You're like, yeah, that's sweet. Like if I could do anything, I think I'd keep doing what I'm doing. That's cool. Right. And, and this is, and I've talked to you about this before a ton. This is, you describe this whole thing as in the meantime, and that's, and that's still where I am today. So I am in the meantime of the things that I want to do in life. But I'm in the meantime, I'm doing those things also. So it's not like, it's not like I'm putting this on pause. It's that I, and it is truly a blessing to be able to do it with, to do this with Kate, this calling, um, on the way to our continued calling. Like, it's a, it is a journey. It's a process in which uh, callings move and change and but it's still all in this greater sense of it's God's calling so the the Bruce Wayne Casey Myers Kate Myers thing it, it doesn't change that much it's the cause thing I'm having a tough time answering <laughs> I, uh, that was just for fun no I know that it's fun I know that it's just for fun I think I think this right now at this point in life and this I hope would change at some point um you know, as, as I grow older, I hope I have a better answer, like a wiser answer or something like this. But right now I, I couldn't feel any more passionately about finances. And, um, Kate and I are in the process of buying a house. Um, and 
doing whatever it takes to have a sense of freedom financially, um, not freedom to go and do whatever you want, but the freedom to know that uh, God has given you the gift of finances. Uh, and that's not the case for everybody, but so often God gives us the gift of finances and there's an issue on the stewardship level. The Spirit has empowered us, but our eyes are closed, our ears are shut to see or hear what God would have for us. Um, so my cause and the background is that I do care about money. I think it's really, really important. I don't like that people, I, I don't want people to know that necessarily, that I'm just crazy about money, but like, uh, and, and not crazy about money, but I'm crazy about what it can do and uh, what it should do versus what, what often happens. Yeah. Um, and it, yeah. That's so good, dude. Cause that's, I literally just told my small group this morning, I was like in the church, we either talk about giving or we point them to Dave Ramsey. And it's like, those are like the Dave Ramsey model is really good and obviously has like biblical roots in it and stuff. But it's like, maybe we should also continue the conversation more and more about stewardship. I liked it. And we really need to wrap up cause I know it's getting long, but and you've got other things to do. But like when you talked about, it's not just stewardship, like literally it's connected to even your marriage, like teaching mm. people, Hey, steward your money. So on a Thursday night, you can take your wife or your husband out to eat, you know, and see a movie and do something just for you guys. But also knowing, Hey, that's just this really, really small percent. Like we don't, we aren't gluttonous with our entertainment and with all that, but like we do want to make sure that it's, it's, uh, it's a means to helping build my relationships and stuff. I don't know. I'm no, it was yeah. your thought that the, I just... I mean, the heart of it is that we're given good gifts. It's, it is it is the nature of... And, and it, do, it doesn't always happen in the context of finances, but we are given good gifts. That's what God does. Uh, so often, these gifts of grace that we've been given, we are irresponsible with. Hmm. Um, you know, a lot of you know... Not a lot of you. I don't know who listens to this podcast. <laughs> Randy Maddox uh, wrote a book called Responsible Grace, and it's the idea that... The grace that we have been given, and it's it's important to note that we have been given it. God is the first actor in this. God gives us good gifts of grace. What we do with that grace is response-able. We can respond to it. We are able to respond. Um, and, and that's a little bit the heart of the kind of theology that we do as Wesleyans, but it's also... Uh, those, the way that we respond is a is, is often uh, denotes that it often notes the kind of stewards that we are with those with those gifts of grace and and that's why I think specifically in the realm of finances it's it's really important. So, it's good, dude. I love it. I think you're right. I think you'd be a great Batman. Um, okay. Hey, thank you for. <laughs> you're like that's the hardest part, Tim. You're never serious. Um, <laughs> thanks for being on here, man. I really, you and I, we talk literally every day and we yeah. talk about all types of things and philosophies and which is why this is actually a 16 part no I'm just yeah. <laughs> but uh thanks for being on the podcast and helping us figure out just some of the ways that we can you know uh maybe tweak our 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 lens and the way we see life a little bit to live a more in the meantime that's kind of the point right i didn't mention in the meantime that much but it's that's the whole point is living right now and i asked you a bunch of futuristic questions but, <laughs> uh, anyway all right bro thanks for doing it peace